Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. I'm struggling with my mental health. I'm concerned about my loved one and need support for myself. I need someone to speak to, but I don't want to burden my family and friends. The experience of mental illness can be emotional, challenging and isolating, but you don't have to go through it alone. Hello, Helpline. Helpline is an information support and referral service. Our trained volunteers... Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Or have a personal experience of mental illness and are here to listen, understand and help. Our service is free, confidential and you can call us from Monday to Friday, 9am to 5pm. If you have a mental illness, know someone who does or just need someone to speak to you, Call Helpline on 84864222. That's 84864222. My fellowship is a 3CR supporter. Brainwaves. Hear the world differently. Tune in to 3CR Community Radio Wednesdays at 5pm for Brainwaves, Melbourne's drive-time radio show. Giving voice to people with mental illness. One in five have a mental illness, but five in five can enjoy this great program featuring heartwarming stories, great information, and some laughs as well. Find us at 3CR. 855 on your AM dial. Sponsored by Mental Illness Fellowship of Victoria. Welcome to Brainwaves on 3CR, 855 AM on the dial. Um, in the studio with us today, we have Louise the Dent Pierce, and um, panelling is myself, Kathy, and interviewing today is uh, Kate. Over to you, guys. Thank you, Kathy. Welcome, Louisa. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, Louisa, you've described your journey into mental health issues and back to recovery in five stages. Um, could you touch briefly on, on your first episode of mental health issues and perhaps tell us a little bit more about the second stage, which um, you, you told us occurred at age 36 and how you handled this differently? Yeah, sure. Um, I think like a lot of young people, I was very troubled throughout my childhood and adolescence in particular, which is a stressful time. But the real cracks didn't really begin to show until 18, 19, 20. Um, And I couldn't really handle the pressure of being out in the big bad world, I guess. And um, I started to experience a lot of paranoia, a lot of voices. um, And at first, well... I didn't want to get help, but I was brought to a psychiatrist at the time and was given some medication, but I didn't want to know anything about my diagnosis, which was a provisional diagnosis of schizophrenia. Um, that word in itself terrified me, and I ran away from it. My family ran away from it. Um, they, I guess they were trying to help, but they didn't know how. We were all just really frightened of the whole idea of mental illness and particularly the schizophrenia label so um yeah I, I kind of 
cobble together my own version of it wasn't recovery but it was like plastering over all the cracks um and then um the second stage that you asked about um that was I had like 10 years of reasonable wellness on the outside so that I looked like a functioning human being and I was holding down a job and I had a, a marriage and but really inside very unhappy and of course the problems showing up as addictions and all sorts of sure you know <laughs> um other pro- it just seemed like I would get rid of one problem and then another one would pop up um so then I guess you know, I'd like, I like a, there's a saying um, from a type of therapy called primal therapy. It's a trauma therapy, which is that psychosis is what happens when neurosis doesn't work anymore. So it was almost like the tension had built up in me so much that I just couldn't handle it and I cracked. And I, I literally had a very dramatic, what's called in medical terms, psychotic break, which is you kind of snap, <laughs> your mind snaps. Um, and all, all of a sudden, overnight, there were voices um, 24-7, um, complete paranoia. I was very agitated. I couldn't look people in the eye. Like, I had a full-blown psychotic episode for about three months, which, yeah, led me on an interesting journey <laughs> thereafter. And what allowed you to handle it differently? What insights did you have that made your mm. approach different this time? Yeah, probably the, the wisdom of a bit of age, I guess. You know, when you're 20, 20 21, 22, um, I, didn't, I didn't have a lot of guidance around me. I didn't have anyone to sort of, I suppose, mentor me through that. Um, whereas when I had my issues at age 36, um, well, maybe I was just sick of it. Maybe, you know, I think sometimes when, you, when, you, when you're at rock bottom or you're up against the wall or, you know, your, your shoulds, I should do something about this turn into a must I must do something about this because I kind of recognize maybe deep down that if I didn't address whatever it was that was causing me all these lifelong problems I was going to have them for the rest of my life and I was only 36 at the time so Mm. I thought well you know I actually want to be well so maybe it was that desire to want to be well and you speak of acceptance that's quite profound and very difficult for a lot of people and I'm speaking from personal experience of a psychotic crisis and major psychiatric illness Mm. could you speak to that a little bit yeah definitely um I guess the image that pops into my mind when you when you say that acceptance and is is really about the like we we accept the parts of our identity that we like you know, me the functioning person, me the funny person, me the whatever person. But it's the shadow side. It's all the stuff in the basement of the psyche. It's all the things that you're most afraid of, your deepest fears, your toxic core beliefs about yourself, that you're unlovable and you're not worthwhile as a human being. That's the stuff that I had to dredge up, if you like, and look at and then accept because... Um, I I don't think unless you do that work, you can truly um, recover. Sure. Um, Yeah. Okay. And the third stage you describe is the path to recovery. Could you outline for us the key components of this and how you addressed and learned to work with and value the voices? Mm. Sure. Well, what does bring to mind there, and I link it to what we were just talking about with acceptance, is that um, I... 
I went, I remember at some point after about three or four months of the psychotic episode and I'd just started to get involved with the medical system, started to get hospitalised hospitalized and me, um, have medication. Um, but I still hadn't, I wasn't anywhere near acceptance. But then I went, I found something called the Hearing Voices Network, the Hearing Voices Groups, which is a um, peer-led consumer movement to help people who hear voices and I went along to one of these meetings um, and I just remember feeling like I felt defective broken pathetic like all the nasty abusive things I was telling myself about myself but in that group I felt some level of profound acceptance that all these other people were not judging me and didn't see me as broken defective yeah and I guess that started that journey um I also did a lot of therapy (laughs) um from avoiding the problems in my 20s I sort of did a backflip and did the complete opposite um this was now five years ago and I've probably done I haven't had a week without therapy in that time sure yeah and at one point I was doing three sessions a week so it was very intensive I threw myself into it (laughs) and what was the most helpful therapy for you um, it's actually, I can't even say one specific thing because I tried a lot of different things, but trauma therapy initially. So it's like a kind of a bodywork type therapy where you get to, you don't do a lot of talking, you really just do feeling. And for me, I had developed a sort of an inability to feel my feelings, really. Um, my There was a lot of emotions that I labelled as unacceptable. So like things like anger, I, I didn't know how to express my anger. I didn't know I was even angry. But going into therapy, I started to tap into those more childlike parts of myself that had kind of been buried in my psyche then and begin to acknowledge just how angry they were, how hurt they were um, grieving for all sorts of reasons you know Um, so once the feelings started to come up that's I think when the healing started Um, and so that was the body work but then I also did traditional psychoanalytic kind of talk therapy Um, and that was really helpful too because most of my stuff was around accepting my inner child and when you're working with inner child work you it's helpful to have parenting model to you if you like like a kind of a that's where therapists as much as you know I sometimes beat myself up for needing to have to pay someone to do this job of I don't know looking after my inner child it was invaluable because I learned through hours and hours and hours of being in the presence of someone who would just continually validate me and continually um, remind me not to abuse myself or um, you know because my voices were abusive voices um, so I had to learn how not to abuse myself and I had to have that modelled to me by a therapist who became a kind of a parent in a way. Yeah. That was through a sort of talking therapy, psychoanalytic approach. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Quite traditional, you know. I mean, there's this, now that I'm doing work myself, working with people, I understand that it's more about the relationship than it is about the type of therapy. It's... You know, I've had, I've also had a lot of therapeutic encounters with, say, nurses in hospitals who do a little bit of on the spot parenting, a little bit of on the spot soothing, validating. Um, I've had amazing doctors. I'm really fortunate that my doctors have um, got on board with um, accepting that childish part of me that really, really needed to be validated and, you know, 
as I grew in my recovery journey, I just kind of let that child out and I let it express itself. And sometimes that was, you know, quite, I guess, cringeworthy in behaviour, like I would be throwing a tantrum or yelling or throwing things or um but I had to go through that like it was a, an emotional learning curve for me so I could mm. yeah integrate mm. those emotions and um just briefly before we go to a break you also describe on that that path to recovery um challenging programming and society mm. liberating myself you spoke to loving yourself mm. um Tell us a little bit about challenging programming in society because mm. I think we are all embedded in this culture and I think you'd have a lot to share with people out there. Absolutely. Look, we we have prisons sometimes in our minds. We you know, they're created for us by sometimes by our parenting but often by a society and our parents of course are products of the society so it's it's all these layers and levels um, and maybe styles of parenting that have been passed down from generation to generation um, and I don't think we do in our society a great job of teaching children how to um, feel their feelings how to really trust and be in contact with their feelings because there's a lot of well certainly generation my generation I don't know if it's happening so much now but there was squashing of feelings and you know you you weren't allowed to express how you felt um and the schools do it as well you know they try and sort of shove kids into little pigeonholes and turn them into you know (laughs) good students but um part of being a human being is being expressive and creative and um yeah so there's that and then there's the how terrible sickness of needing everybody's approval you know in this world like we're also um, locked into shoulds I should be doing this I should be doing that Um, and then we have an inner critic who's the other part of the mind that steps in and berates us when we don't do what we think we should do so there's the the rule maker in the mind and then there's the inner critic and they work like these Gestapo <laughs> in your frontal cortex, you know, policing your behaviour. Um, so really, it's it's programming that was given to me by society and and my parents to an extent. But I don't blame them because I realise now that the only person that could actually have the key to open and get out of that prison was me. So in the end, it kind of all comes back to yourself and your own power and your own sovereignty to uh, manage what's going on in your mind. Fantastic response, Louisa. We'll go to a break now and we'll be, we'll be back with more. Okay, stay tuned for more Brainwaves and this is I'm Alive by Audie Angel. Violence can destroy families. I decided one day that I could not stand having my children witnessing more of the physical, verbal and emotional abuse. While I was facing issues of family violence, I heard about a service available to assist people in my situation called InTouch. I called InTouch and spoke with someone in my language. InTouch gave me the support I needed. Thanks to the people at InTouch, I've been able to rebuild a better life for my family. If you need advice, contact InTouch for a free and confidential discussion in your language by calling 1-800-755-988 or search InTouch Multicultural Centre online. In Touch, brought to you by Victorian Women Lawyers and funded by Victoria Law Foundation. 
Welcome back to Brainwaves on 3CR. In the studio with us today, we have Louisa here talking about her lived experience. Thank you, Kathy. Welcome back, Louisa. Thank you. Louisa, the final stage you describe in your journey to recovery is giving back to others, helping to empower people to take charge of their own recoveries. Um, could you tell us about your work as a consumer consultant in a private clinic and as a peer worker for Voices Vic? Yeah, sure. I guess um, this is the part of my story which I'm most passionate about at the moment because it's um, happening now in real time. I'm, you know, a lot of my stories now in the past. I'm kind of, feel like I'm a fair way down the recovery journey, um, but pivotal to the recovery journey. I hadn't mentioned it before, but was work was starting work, and it was way back in 2010 that I first got kind of kicked in the ass to run or co-facilitate a group um, a hearing voices group and I was scared of the whole idea but you know with encouragement from people around me at Voices Vic um, I started to do that so there was a volunteer um, process I guess about six months and then I started working as a one-on-one peer support worker for Voices Vic and at that point I was only working nine hours a week and that was terrifying because I was so you know I was still struggling so much in my journey I was questioning how can I help other people if I'm not fully recovered and I hear that question so many times now when I'm talking to people they're like I want to be a peer worker but I have to wait you know till I'm much better and I say well actually working as a peer worker will you know send your recovery sky high possibly that's that's certainly been my experience and I've seen that work for other people as well that it just you're helping people but you're helping yourself as well because you've got a really good reason to get out of bed um and some days I would wake up and I'd feel so anxious that I'd want to ring up work and say I can't come in I'm too anxious and then I'd just go you know what I can do this and I'd, I remember walking all the way to work like doing breathing exercises and then get to work and switch on you know there it is suddenly you you feel okay and you feel and then your confidence grows that's the really nice thing about it you just start achieving little goals um so from nine hours a week, it's grown to working about 24 hours a week, which is, to be honest, probably all I'll ever manage because I think, um, you know, my recovery goal is not to be like a f- nine to five, five days a week type worker. I'm, I'm too sensitive and probably, but you know, on the vulnerable side to maybe manage that. Um, but for me, it's just perfect amount of time to, um, to keep myself, yeah, passionate and <laughs> feeling like I'm contributing could you tell us a little bit more about Voices Vic? I'm sure there are people mm. out there who either hear voices or care for someone or know someone who does and who may be interested in alternate mo- mm. to an alternate model to the strictly medical model. Could you tell us a little bit yeah. more about what Voices Vic is and what its approach is to voice hearers? Yeah, sure. Um, so they are a consumer-led, they came... Uh, organization they're a network they're international and they started in Holland about 25 years ago um, with a psychiatrist interestingly enough he founded it if you like and started mutual support groups but then the consumers took over (laughs) and now there's groups all around the world there's the intervoice which is the website people can check out intervoice.org 
um, for lots of information. Um, we've got some stars, I guess, in the in the Hearing Voices constellation um, out there. There's um, Eleanor Longdon who did an incredible TED talk that people can have a look at. Um, she there's a lot of voice hearers that have come through the Hearing Voices movement that then went on to recover and now teach and help people. Um, so there's a lot of you can look around you at the Hearing Voices Network family and you can get really inspired because these are people who've gone through what you've gone through and are, you know, being creative and expressive and living their lives and it's not all perfect but, you know, they're they're out there doing their thing. So for me personally, it was I was inspired by um, my facilitator mentor at Voices Vic um, and, yeah, so that a lot of what we do is is role modeling that and we do it through our support groups we have about 22 around victoria when i say we have them they don't um prayer and mission voices vic don't um run those groups as such we just kind of help them with resources and we have a network facilitator who can you know keep in touch with them um but they're they are independent and that's the thing about the network it isn't like managed as such it's it's a network not an organization um, the philosophy behind it is that essentially everyone can recover. Like we really believe that because many of us have been told you will never work again. Um, <clears throat> you will have to be on medication for the rest of your life. Um, you know, just given those really doomsday prognoses and there's evidence all over the place of people who've defied that and gone on to create whatever recovery looks like to them and you know we're not saying that you have to tick all these boxes to be recovered if you know we recognize everyone's got their own version of that um and that's the other thing is it's very person-centered to use (laughs) the buzzword in the industry like it's all about the person and what they believe the voices are we're not we don't see voices as a symptom of mental illness um we know that Only a small percentage of voice hearers actually find voice hearing distressing, that there's plenty. uh, One of the most conservative studies I know is maybe 4% of the population hears voices, but we know that only about 1% get the diagnosis of schizophrenia and end up in the medical system. So that still leaves that 3% of people who hear voices and cope. And in some cultures, it's a a gift to be able to hear your ancestors. Um, There's a whole line of thinking that you know hearing voices is a spiritual experience um it's almost akin to like a shamanic awakening um psychosis can have that um as well in fact it probably does in most cases it's dependent on you know how how the person's helped through that so with the hearing voices network we just try and help the person make sense of their experience rather than try and tell them what it should mean that's fantastic. So if there's anybody out there who's listening who would like to contact Voices Vic, what are, what, what are the best contact details for them? Okay, so Voices Vic is a part of Pran Mission. Um, our head office is um, 211 Chapel Street in Pran. Um, but you can just make a phone call. It's probably easier. It's, um, the line is 9692 and our website is www.voicesvic.org.au. Thank you, Louisa. Thanks for coming on to our show, Louisa. Um, thanks for sharing your story with us. 
Um, you can listen to podcasts of our show at brainwaves.org.au and download from iTunes. Feel free to send us feedback or suggestions for shows via, via email at brainwaves at myfellowship.org. Thanks for listening and be sure to tune in to 3CR next Wednesday at 5pm for another episode of Brainwaves. Until next week, um, it's goodbye from the team at Brainwaves. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.